is the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, and we're committed to the success of women entrepreneurs and majority women-owned companies across Canada. As a proud partner of the Thrive Podcast, we're here to help you start, grow, or scale your business. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women today. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. listening to the Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. On the Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization, and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, Executive Director at Startup Canada. Welcome to the show. We are thrilled to have Connie Lowe and Laura Burgett on our show today. Connie is passionate about wellness, life design, and women empowerment. Laura's interest in entrepreneurship began when she was nine years old, selling handmade crafts and jewelry in her elementary school. Connie and Laura hold their business to high ethical standards. Connie and Laura are the co-founders of Three Ships, which is a natural and vegan skincare company on a mission to make clean beauty accessible for all women. They bootstrapped their business in 2017 with just $4,000 in savings, starting by making handmade products in their kitchen. Fast forward to today, and Three Ships is now carried in 400-plus retailers across North America and will be launching into Target in January. They've been featured on Dragon's Den and won RBC's 2020 Women in Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub Micro Business Award. Welcome to the show, Connie and Laura. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. We are so thrilled to have both of you on the Thrive Podcast today. Uh, So before we dive into what I'm sure is going to be a really fantastic conversation, uh, what was the most important thing that you want the audience to take away from today's interview? Connie, let's start with you. I think oftentimes when people are listening to podcasts, um, they feel really inspired by the founders that um, they're listening to and their stories. Um, but they often think like, oh, those people are like magical unicorns or like, mm-hmm. I can't do what they're doing. Um, and so the main takeaway that I think Laura and I both would want your listeners to take is that anyone can do it. Um, we weren't, we, we didn't have any connections in the beauty space. Um, we didn't have, you know, financial backing. We were just two 23 year olds who had this big, crazy idea. Uh, and just decided to start handmaking products in my kitchen. Amazing. I love that, Connie. Laura, any any other feedback to add? Yeah, I would agree. I think that a lot of entrepreneurs tend to deal with the uh, analysis paralysis, that they think mm. that they need to have everything perfectly in order before they can get started. Um, and this tends to lead to them never actually pursuing their dreams. So I would hope that people after listening to this would feel like, okay, I can do this. I'm going to get started, even if it's just the first little step. And that each day is just about 
making incremental changes and getting just a little bit better at what you're doing. I love that. Fantastic. Fantastic things to take away from today's episode. So let's dive right in. Um, So let's start with you, Laura. Take us on your entrepreneurial journey um, and what inspired you initially to build Three Ships with Connie. Yeah, so it was really born out of our own frustrations as consumers. So Mm. um, I first came up with the idea when I was in my fourth year of school. I was studying at the University of Toronto in chemical engineering and was taking a number of courses in entrepreneurship. Um, And one of the ideas I had during one of those courses was to create a line of natural makeup remover wipes. So at the time, I was using coconut oil as a form of natural makeup remover. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever used it before, but it's extremely messy. It works so well. It like literally <laughs> melts the makeup off your face, but it's a literal jar of coconut oil that's on your vanity. wasn't very cute. wasn't the greatest uh, user experience either. It was extremely messy. You couldn't travel with it. So I tried to find something that was the same ingredients and super natural, but in a white format and couldn't find anything on the market. And then at that point, started doing more research into natural skincare and realized the lack of affordable um, options for women. So everything was really priced beyond what I could afford as a consumer, you know, 80 plus dollars for a cleanser, $400 for for a full routine. Um, But then once I found products I could afford and started doing research into their ingredients, I realized that there was really nothing natural about Mm. the products other than like the aloe leaf that they put on the front of the packaging. (laughs) So um, just a number of issues within the space that frustrated me as a consumer. And that's um, what inspired us to start the brand. Mm, Fantastic. Connie, any other inspiration that sort of led through uh, your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, I mean, before even building Three Ships with Laura, I was really inspired by my father. He's an entrepreneur, and I remember watching him even back when I was like four years old. <laughs> Some of my first memories were um, letting he would let me tag along on business trips. Um, you know, we'd go to like Germany and like Brazil, and I got to learn a lot about um, identifying new markets and like, you know, brand positioning. And that's what I love doing at Three Ships. So I remember even from a young age, I was like, oh, one day I really would love to do my own thing. Um, and then in high school and university, I also ran my own side businesses. But to be honest, I just never had an idea that resonated with me enough to be like, okay, this is the one, like I'm going to go full time with this. Um, and then when we were introduced, um, you know, Lauren and me, that was really um, the idea that just totally took off because um, besides being very interested in entrepreneurship, I'm also a huge natural beauty lover. Mm. I remember when I was in elementary school, I would run home from school and go to the kitchen and mix different things in like <laughs> mixing bowls. So I would take like, you know, mashed up bananas and like green tea bags and oatmeal and I just slather it all over my face <laughs> and just lie there on the couch and just you know, try to see what different concoctions I could make to, you know, help with like acne or, you know, like fine lines, which I didn't have back then, but I was like, oh, this is a thing. Um, so when we were introduced, it was just, you know, it just made total sense to start this business together. And how did you meet? Yeah, it's actually a funny story. So Connie and I were not friends before starting the business. So we met through a mutual friend, someone that I had gone to university with and knew Connie actually from middle school. Um, so I had quote unquote, pitch this idea for this line of natural products to to my friend. And he was like, oh, you should talk to my friend, Connie. Um, she's like the beauty guru of our friend group, uh, has been super into this space as a consumer. So she'd be able to provide you some like consumer feedback. So her and I met up in November of 2016. So like a little over four years ago now, which is crazy. Um, initially, just for, again, product feedback, market research was supposed to be a 45 minute sushi dinner. 
turned into like a three-hour date essentially slash like business <laughs> brainstorming session that her and I were just vibing off of each other coming up with all these different ideas for the brand and what it could be um we started learning that we had very similar values in terms of how we were raised but polar opposite personality types so mm. um something that we actually talked about in that first meeting was our Myers-Briggs types it's mm. a uh, personality test that Connie and I both love and we think is so accurate and her and I are polar opposite um types within that quiz so it just, we were just vibing off of each other and it became very obvious that I had found my co-founder. Um, I ran two businesses while I was in school. One of them was a retail bookstore on campus with eight employees. The other one was a um, exterior house painting business with seven employees. Mm. And so I knew that I wanted to own my own business after I graduated. I knew that I'd found my idea, but knew that I needed a co-founder um, to come on this journey with me. So all the stars just really aligned. Amazing. And I love that we have this perspective through this episode um, to understand how you find a co-founder. It is often a question that that we get um, within the Startup Canada network and um, really identifying the right fit that a business partner is such a unique experience and fraught with a lot of risk. Um, so really identifying, you know, using Meyer-Briggs test, really understanding various mm -hmm. personality types, backgrounds. Um, I think there's, there's even more we could dive into on this topic for sure, but really interesting to hear hear your story about how you connected initially yeah it's pretty unique a lot of people just assume that we were friends beforehand because <laughs> yeah. we have such a good dynamic now and we have so much trust for each other but those are things that we've really had to build mm. over time mm -hmm. and it hasn't always been super easy like connie and i are polar opposite even in terms of our communication styles mm -hmm. so we've had to adjust to each other and learn how to communicate with each other so that um, you know, those things don't get in the way of the business. Mm. Um, but I mean, for people that are looking for co-founders, the piece of advice I give is make sure that you're looking for a co-founder, not just a really expensive employee. Like you truly have to treat this person like mm. your actual partner in business. Mm -hmm. So something that Connie and I did, which I think was really critical is that she got 50% of the business right up front. And a lot of my friends were like, why would you do that? Like, this is your idea. You should keep like 60%, give her 40 or 51, 49. But I think that that would have really limited, I mean, Connie can speak to this too, um, in terms of our dynamic, because mm -hmm. I wanted a true partner and being 50-50 allowed us to have those really frank conversations. And it's not like I had veto power because mm -hmm. that's not really a partnership. If one person is like hanging things over the other person, realistically, yeah. I really have much more than an idea when her and I met. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it works for certain partnerships, like the 51-49, but I think overall the 50-50 just makes you feel like more of a valued partner. Mm -hmm. And like you said, like without that veto power, if you did have that veto power, I would feel like you said, just like an expensive employee. Mm -hmm. And um, Kayla, something to note about how we run three ships is mm -hmm. Laura manages everything to do with the back end. So product development, cash flow, supply chain. Um, and for me, I run anything on the front end. So customer facing marketing and sales. And the way that we manage these areas is that Ultimately, if we have a decision we need to make, um, we'll obviously speak with each other and get each other's opinions. But if there happens to be a disagreement on a course of action we should take, then the person who leads that area is the one who has the ultimate, you know, quote unquote, veto power. Mm -hmm. So if it's something to do with, you know, say a new retailer that we want to launch into, and I firmly believe, um, say that we should be launching in there and Laura's a little more hesitant, then at the end of the day, that would be my call. 
Um, and I think that's a really great way for partnerships to run. Mm-hmm. This is so helpful. I love the nitty gritty practical insights <laughs> that we're getting through this. I absolutely love it. Um, and I think that's really helpful because people think of co-founders as these amorphous, you know, leaders of, of organizations or getting really crunchy insights as to how people run businesses with a, a split between two leaders is, is really interesting. And we see it in so many different ways. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so let's talk a little bit of pulling on the, the money string here. Um, you began your business with only $4,000 of personal finance, I imagine, but no no investors. Um, mm-hmm. How has this journey been for both of you, considering that you know you bootstrapped this business, and how has that evolution been? Connie, maybe let's start with you. When we started, we both had $2,000 each in savings, so that's what we pulled together to launch our business. Mm. Um, no investors, no connections. That's a really big dream. And in terms of how this journey has been, I mean, honestly, it's been so much hustle and grit. Uh, When we started Three Ships, we were both working other full-time jobs. So this was a side hustle initially because we knew that we had to save up money. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we would do is we would meet up on uh, in the evenings and on weekends to work on our business. So I remember distinctly, it was always a Monday night in my apartment, Wednesday night at Laura's place. (laughs) And then we'd pick uh, either Saturday or Sunday a full day to work. And it was really tiring, like not just physically, you know, hand making the products, but mentally as well, because you're working your like, you know, 8.30 to 5.30 p.m. job, and then you're mentally drained, and then you go back home, and then you work on your side hustle. Um, So I would say, you know, to that point of, I think entrepreneurship is sometimes really overly glamorized, and people don't really see the behind the scenes of how exhausting it can be, and how unglamorous it is. Like, I remember I had jugs of coconut oil in my apartment. I slipped in the middle of the night. I fell on my face. Like, that is what goes on behind the scenes. It's not just like receiving awards and being in like Forbes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think starting with just that $4,000 forced us to be really cognizant of where we were spent, where we were spending our money, mm-hmm. um, given that we only had that small amount. So, you know, instead of getting custom labeled, um, custom printed labels for our products. We bought a $300 laser printer and we printed our own labels. And that's what we did in the start. And, you know, they could have been better quality, but that's what we needed for our MVP. Mm. Um, And it also allowed us to quickly pivot. So when we were at farmers markets and trade shows and talking to customers, if a customer said like, oh, um, you know, this should be on your packaging and we started to hear that a lot, we're like, oh, easy, we can we can quickly change that with our laser printer mm-hmm. as opposed to having like 5,000 of the same label printed already. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it also forced us to get really scrappy with where we received funds. So we weren't planning to bring on investors anytime early. Um, and instead we looked for different grants that we could apply for. Um, I remember one time we got 10,000 from a pitch night. Um, mm-hmm. So I recommend your listeners like you know go talk to your alumni schools um for us I, we went to queen's university where i graduated with a commerce degree and we're like hey do you guys have any um like pitches coming up and we realized they did have one so that's where we won the 10k and that was more money than we had between the two of us at the time so that was great and then we also applied for accelerators where we got free office space and free mentorship um so that was really how we started it was very scrappy <laughs> And lots went on behind the scenes that people don't typically see um, on people's highlight reels. Exactly. Yeah, you don't see it on the highlight reel. You see the the successful business at the end of of sort of the line. But um, I love hearing the, the inception stories of you know being in a living room covered in coconut oil, trying to figure <laughs> out you know how to print the labels. Uh, this oh, is what man. entrepreneurship is all about. <laughs> Got to be scrappy. So so funny. Like I remember, I worked um, in an office building like thirty five minutes away from home, and 
sometimes my concierge at my apartment would call me and be like, so we just got 10 cases of product or like <laughs> some sort of raw materials and we need you to sign off on this and we're not going to do it. I was like, oh my God, wait, <laughs> just like, please hold it. And then I'll come back and like drive back speedily and sign for coconut oil. And they were just probably wondering like, what is this woman doing? What are these people apartment? doing? Yeah. <laughs> And now you're in 400 plus retailers across North America. So it, it starts yeah. with that structure and, you know, grows from there. So on the product side, um, Three Ships obviously offers customers a really unique product in the beauty and skincare space. Can you speak to some of the strategies and the tactics that have allowed you to succeed in both this niche space, but also um, obviously understanding that the beauty and skincare product is very saturated. And I imagine you have, you have a number of different competitors. What has made your business so unique? Yeah, that's a great question. In terms of the strategies and tactics that have allowed us to stand out and succeed, I think the number one tactic is just the mindset that Connie and I have, which is that we're customer obsessed. So we mm, try to involve the customer at every single point within the journey that we've taken on the business. So whether that's our product design, we send out um, pre-production samples. So like literally samples directly from the lab of the products before they've actually been released and before they've been produced. We send that out to 20 of our top customers that are super engaged, all of different ages, different skin types to have them try out the product themselves for two weeks. And then they provide feedback through an extensive survey. That's, you know, 30 questions long. So I can ask them everything about the product and what they thought about it. And then we take that feedback to the lab and actually involve it in our final iteration of our formula before we go into production. So that's something that is wow. very unique. There's not very many companies. I can't think of any other companies that do this within the space. Um, and just, you know, speaks to our um, a hope that we're producing products that our customers genuinely love that really work for them. Um, and this is an angle that have allowed, has allowed us to grow and ensure that we're producing products that our customers genuinely enjoy and that really do work for them. Um, so I think that's a strategy that's allowed us to succeed. Another thing as well is that Connie and I both have sales backgrounds, which is pretty unique mm. within a startup. And I think that this has given us a real competitive advantage because ultimately as a founder, whenever you're having a conversation with someone, you're really selling them either on yourself or on the product or on the company, whether that's mm -hmm. investors, potential retail partners, manufacturers that you're hoping to work with, um, agencies that you're wanting to bring on. You're wanting to sell them on the vision that you're building and that you're someone that they should align themselves with and build a long-term partnership with. So I think that the ability to sell is a key um, character trait that Kwani and I both possess and is very unique for us mm -hmm. as well. And then yeah. for what makes us different than our competitors, um, the white gap that we're addressing within the space is a lack of affordable but also transparent natural skincare. Um, so like I said, there were very few options for natural beauty that we could afford as recent grads. So it's our goal to to complete this mission and have all of our products be under $40 uh, retail price because we feel that that's really what's missing within the space. Um, and then the second bit is about transparency. So again, this is a, something that no other company I think is doing properly or well within the natural skincare space. So we look to go above and beyond in educating our consumers about what goes into the products and making sure that they feel that they have all the knowledge that they need to make the right decision for themselves. We never come at it from a fair mongering standpoint of, mm -hmm. oh, you need to use these products because these ones are bad and will give you cancer or something like that, mm -hmm. which some of our competitors yeah. take that language and we just find it very slimy and gross and consumers are smarter than that. They know when they're being lied to. Mm -hmm. 
And especially now, you know, you can see reviews, you can see this authenticity, you can see how this can bubble up and manifest in so many different ways mm-hmm. externally. Um, it's uh, it's really interesting to see that evolution in terms of brand trust. Um, and from a comms perspective, it, it seems like that that focus for you has served you so beautifully that I love this idea of being cu- customer obsessed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's, that's a mantra many need to have, um, yeah. you know, always having that selling mindset and focusing on education. Those three components are so key. Uh, particularly for startups. And then one of the more externally facing strategies that we also had to make our brand stand out within the beauty space mm. is that from the beginning, we've really focused on aligning ourselves with reputable retail partners. So this is mm. something that we were very specific about. And when we started, many people were like, oh, why don't you guys just focus on e-com? It's higher margin. You can get in front of more people that way. But for us, mm. we were like, you know, our hypothesis was that People are getting inundated with new brands online all the time and they can have like the best branding and best packaging, but you really need to do something to stand out. And when it comes to skincare in particular, we believe that people wanted a chance to smell, touch and feel the product mm-hmm. in person first before committing to a new brand online. Um, so for, the, for that reason, we decided to reach out to really reputable retailers like Target, Whole Foods, Indigo, Hudson's Bay Company, Urban Outfitters. These are all ones that we're launching into. And we knew that the consumer would be walking into these stores, you know, they could potentially pick up one of our products there. And if they liked it, we assumed that, or we guessed that they would come and repurchase um, from 3shipsbeauty.com directly. And what we actually discovered from user testing was that our hypothesis was correct. So with post-purchase surveys, as well as getting on customer calls, like Laura mentioned, we're absolutely customer obsessed. Um, And we realized that customers were discovering us in store and then committing to purchase us directly online. So that's something that's more unique about the way that we start our brand Mm. as compared to other indie beauty brands um, that just focus on the online component. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like you have such a good understanding of your your customer journey that it is not a linear um, purchase that they're necessarily making the same, you know, the first time that they're introduced to the brand to the last time. Mm-hmm. It's evolving. So really incredible to see um, how you really acknowledge that customer behavior um, and that it works beautifully for you. Mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, so Laura, let's uh, this question I'm, I'm interested in getting your perspective on. Um, what do you wish that you knew when you started this business? Uh, because often, you know, on the Thrive Podcast, and as we connect with women entrepreneurs, there are key lessons that you either learn the hard way or we can get ahead of in our entrepreneurial journeys. What do you wish you knew when you started? And then we'll pass it over to Connie after. Yeah. So for me, what I wish I'd known before starting was how to negotiate. This is such an important skill. And um, it was something that I really had no experience in before starting the business and is so critical both from a margin perspective of negotiating with suppliers, negotiating with retail accounts, negotiating with um, like vendors and different service providers as well. And it was something that was extremely uncomfortable for me at the beginning because I just really didn't know the strategies. So I'm sure that there were like there were so many times that I could have negotiated a better deal, both from like a lead time standpoint or from like a margin uh, unit cost standpoint that would have really served us early in the business. Mm. Connie, any other thoughts? Yeah, so something I wish I knew was that a lot of people would be saying, like, you know, the market is too saturated for another new brand to come out. I think, you know, a lot of times people think, oh, beauty, like there's so many beauty brands out there. There's so many large CPGs like L'Oreal and Estee Lauder, and they have huge marketing budgets. And like, how are you going to be able to stand out and compete against those budgets? And and I know that all those comments are said um, you know, to be encouraging in terms of like, don't do something that you guys could potentially fail in. Maybe you guys should think of something else. Um, 
But what I learned over time is that these large CPGs like L'Oreal and Estee Lauder are so established in their product line um, and they have a set pricing that they already need to follow that it's really difficult for them to be flexible and adapt to the market. And that's where emerging brands like us come into play. And I think that's also why you're seeing so many acquisitions happening in the space like, you know, Drunk Elephant being acquired by 800 million, Tatcha just being acquired for 500 million by these large CPGs because they're seeing that these indie or emerging brands are having this, these authentic connections with consumers that these large CPGs just can't have. Um, so I think if I could go back, I would tell myself, like, don't worry, even though there are other brands that are large and have massive budgets, like you guys can do it. Just start out with hand making products in your kitchen and you guys will find your own way. And I think that beautifully transitions into our next question around imposter syndrome. And we know women entrepreneurs um, feel this a, a disproportionate amount compared mm -hmm. to, you know, our male colleagues. How have you both navigated imposter syndrome? And, you know, when you were first starting out in your early 20s, um, you know, taking on this big dream um, and navigating both positive and negative feedback. Um, Connie, how did you start sort of getting ahead of your imposter syndrome and, and convincing yourself that you could build this incredibly successful business? Yeah. Uh, imposter syndrome and, and me are very good friends, I would say. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Sing it. <laughs> and it ebbs and flows. And I think like that's something mm. that people have to remember as well is that I don't know, I don't know if anyone's ever fully gotten over it. I feel like as you advance in your life, um, you're going to be facing new challenges constantly that you're going to have to figure out. And there's many times where you'll start to feel it, you know, digging in again a little more and then you have to just tell it to, to get out of the way. Um, so I remember when we first started three ships and we were hand making products in my kitchen, I had so much imposter syndrome because I was like, man, I can't believe people are buying this. <laughs> like, we are making this with like mixing bowls and like kitchen counter and just, you know, adding essential oils with a little dropper. And we're like, wow, um, compared to other brands out there that we were seeing on Instagram, we're like, what are they doing behind the scenes? And are they really doing it, you know, as quote unquote hack um, as we are to start? And something that was really helpful, actually, that Laura and I did was we looked at another brand that we really aspired to be that had also started in someone's kitchen. And we went mm. through their Etsy shop and found a way to kind of peel back the layers and see how their brand started in terms of how their packaging looked like when they first started. So we we searched like, for example, we searched like the first original orders. And for some reason, we were able to find what their packaging looked like. And it looked completely different than the brand that was now carried at Sephora. It looked like, pretty wow, bad. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, it was like brown craft paper and just very DIY. And we're like, you know what? Everyone starts somewhere. So that was one action that I feel like your listeners could do for themselves is like, okay, look at a brand that you really admire if you're making your own products and try to find what they looked like when they first started. And I guarantee that they did not look as you know polished as you would have imagined. Another piece of advice that I have is something that I do personally. And what I've learned is that by writing down every day what I did well, even if it was the, the smallest things like smiling at a stranger um, or making someone feel good, um, I always wanna write down those moments. And it sounds kind of cheesy, but what really helps solidify this is by looking in the mirror and telling yourself um, that you did a great job. Um, that's something I learned from my life coach and it sounded so cheesy when I first heard it, but I tried it and it really works to help you internalize these positive feelings. And over time, it really helped me um, overcome my imposter syndrome because I was able to tie my actions to the outcomes that I was seeing in the growth of three ships um, in marketing and sales or 
tying my actions to the amazing friendships and relationships that I have in my life, as opposed to just brushing it off as like, oh, it's just like good luck or, you know, I just somehow stumbled into great friendships. Um, so this is something I, I encourage your listeners to do if they feel like they have a lot of imposter syndrome. Mm, I love that. Love that. There's so many good takeaways there. Uh, Laura, any other ways that you have navigated your imposter syndrome? This is something that Connie and I have both dealt with for a while. And we've actually probably talked mm-hmm. about imposter syndrome. I'd say like what, Connie, like once a month. It's a pretty yeah. regular topic of conversation for us. Um, in terms of strategies to deal with it, I would definitely say make sure that you aren't looking at people's highlight reels too much. So I don't really spend too much time on social for that reason. I find that it really hurts me in terms of the imposter syndrome creeping up or the feelings of incompetence or inadequacy or feeling like I'm behind. So make sure that any of the content that you're consuming is not hurting you and is actually serving a purpose and is working to inspire you. Um, Another thing that Connie and I love doing is we love listening to the podcast, How I Built This, It really Mm -hmm. peels back um, the story of some of the biggest brands in the world and these founders that we really, really respect and admire. And the the host, Guy Raz, does a really, really great job of, um, you know, asking the questions about how they thought through things and the struggles that they dealt with at the very, very beginning stages of their companies. And from listening to those podcasts and a lot of those podcasts, you realize some trends and that's that a lot of founders don't actually have it figured out at the beginning at all. They're just like mm-hmm. hustling based off of their passions and curiosities and just the problems they think are cool to solve. And very few of them are actually as pulled together as what you would think. Um, so that's, I know, helped me a lot to keep things in relative perspective. Mm, I love it. Yeah. And reinforcing a narrative with facts, actually hearing, um, you know, the struggles at the beginning of, of many startups and many of their, their journeys, um, and not just making an assumption that, you know, they built a business overnight and they mm-hmm. were these incredible success factors looking for these, um, honest and, and not just highlight real focuses seeing, oh yeah, I built this multi-million dollar business. <laughs> um, there were so many different steps that brought that entrepreneur to that, that space later. Um, so filling things with facts instead of the highlight highlight reels mm-hmm. is definitely a great piece of advice there. Something that Laura and I also um, are trying to do more is showing more of the behind the scenes from a founder perspective mm-hmm. of building three ships. So not only doing um, amazing interviews like this, but also having our own blog series on our website, threeshipsbeauty.com. And we have a series called From the Founders, where we talk about like, okay, you know, say we pitch for Dragon's Den, how exactly did we get from the point of auditioning to being accepted to be on the show? And what did we do to prep mm. so we can help others do the same thing? Or how did we actually start with $4,000? Where did that money go? Like $800 of it went to, you know, incorporating our business. We didn't hire a lawyer, like, et cetera, et cetera. So we're trying to show people like it didn't happen overnight, but you can do the same thing. And same with our Instagram um, on 3 Ships Feedy. What we do is we do a weekly um, founder series Um, usually on Fridays, where we talk about something behind the scenes that we're working on. Um, And we found that this is the type of content that resonates the most with our customers, like even beyond anything that's product focused, like, oh, this toner is really great for, you know, fine lines. It's talking from a founder perspective, getting in front of the camera. And I think it's because people just want to feel heard and want to feel seen and want to connect with others. And by seeing the founder's face behind the camera and saying, like, you guys can do this too, like, this is what we're struggling with. I think that's another element of our brand that goes beyond many other ones. 
where we make people feel like they can do exactly what we're doing. Yeah, the very human approach, I think, definitely resonates um, wholeheartedly and then connects to your customer in a totally different way. Mm -hmm. I love that. So we mentioned earlier, you know, your relationship as co-founders and coming together, not as friends initially, but coming together as business partners and really building your business intentionally together. How has your relationship, um, you know, changed over the years? And um, how has um, this sort of forged your way in building the business forward? What's next for you both? Oh, it's changed in so many different ways. Um, so just in terms of our trust for each other, I think that that's been the biggest change. And that, of course, takes time. And it's not something that you're going to be able to have right out of the gates. Um, I remember when we first got started, uh, like we would meet up at Connie's place at like around 6 or 7 p.m. on like Wednesdays and then my place on Tuesdays or something like that. I can't remember the actual dates. I'll have to look back. But Monday and Wednesdays. Monday and Wednesdays. Okay, so we Forever meet up to my on Wednesdays. <laughs> Uh, Wednesdays and I didn't realize that Connie would literally be sitting at her dining room table like waiting for me starting at six o'clock like she wouldn't be doing anything else she would just sit there and wait and I'm not a very punctual person like if I'm somewhere within like 10 minutes of the time I consider that to be on time it's like a bit of a personality flaw but and I didn't know that she was just sitting there waiting so it led to like a little bit of conflict in terms of like her being frustrated that I was making her wait me not understanding what the big deal was if I was three minutes late um, but it's something that we've balanced out and learned over time about how to address that. Um, and that's, again, led to more trust. And I think that the trust factor is also based off of us being able to see, OK, yeah, this person did make the right decision. I know that I can trust them. We're both in this together. We both like make mistakes and screw up. We both have accomplishments and things that we should be really proud of, too. And that ultimately, we're both in this together. And through this process, we've also become best friends. So Connie and I are best friends now, even though we didn't start off as best friends. And uh, what we've learned is that having time to just be friends together as founders is so important. So we actually schedule this in. We call it Founder Funsies. Um, we used to have it every Wednesday. Now I it's, love that. We used to have it every Friday. Now it's probably every other Friday just because of the lockdown. And I mean, I haven't really mm -hmm. spent Founder Funsies time with Connie in the last couple of weeks because of Toronto being back in lockdown. Um, but it's been such an important thing for us to be able to reconnect with each other as friends and hash through some of the like doubts and fears and like excitements that we're having both in our personal lives and also about the business. Mm -hmm. I love that. One thing I'll add to that also is that um, for your listeners who have business partners or even, um, you know, an extended team, something that's helpful is also knowing their love languages. And I know it sounds kind of funny, mm -hmm. like, <laughs> like you're not in a romantic relationship, but knowing their like business love language, like. You know, for me, I, I realized um, early on that Laura really loves words of affirmation and just saying, like, you're doing a great job or like, I really appreciate you taking this on. And those things go really far for her. Um, and for me, I really appreciate quality time. So those founder funsies go a really long way for me. Um, so knowing how your business partner or your team team members um, want to be treated and appreciate being treated is really important um, and goes so far. And it's not something that you need to, like, you know, spend a lot of money on. Um, or like buy gifts for people. It's more just like treating people like your friends and treating people the way that they deserve to be treated. Sing it. I love, I'll take all of those pieces of advice, post it them, pop them on my computer. I love, <laughs> love, love this feedback. Um, so wrapping up this, this wonderful conversation, let's think of one key takeaway. If you could sort of identify a sentence or two um, final pieces of advice for women entrepreneurs specifically that they can take from today's chat and implement their, into their businesses. Laura, let's start with you. Yeah, my piece of advice, other than just get started, because I think that that's something 
that like mm-hmm. everyone, if this is a sign that you're looking for, if you're waiting for a sign, this is it, like just get started. Mm. Um, but the other piece of advice would be learn how to sell and learn how to lead. And especially the sales aspect is something that a lot of women feel really uncomfortable towards. Um, for some reason, sales has become a very male dominated field and very associated with men. I wish that it wasn't the case because it's such a critical skill. And again, something that really was competitive advantage for Connie and I is that we can both sell. Um, So as soon as you possibly can, right out of school, um, ideally get a job in sales, ideally the most like grindy, like gritty type of sales you can. So like Mm -hmm. cold calling people or cold emailing people, it'll teach you so much about getting comfortable with rejection, which of course is rampant within building a business. You will be told no a lot more than you'll be told yes. And you need to just let that like slide off of you and not impact you and and your mood or else you'll have way too many up and down days. Um, So that would be my number one piece of advice is learn how to sell. Love it. And learn how to lead. Fantastic. Connie, over to you. Mm -hmm. Those are great tips. For me, I would say get really specific about the problem that you're solving and then focus on your lane. Uh, That was something that I had to learn through starting through ships. I remember when we started, we were like, yes, we're all natural, we're transparent, you know, we're affordable. And then I'd start looking at another more premium brand on Instagram and be like, oh, but like they're doing this and, you know, they're in this retailer and like they have this kind of flashy custom packaging. And it was great having Laura there to ground me. And she's like, no, 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 remember the problem that we're solving is making clean skincare affordable for all women and accessible. I'm like, oh, right, right, right. (laughs) So like going back and staying in your lane is so important. Um, Don't compare yourself to what other people are doing. Like it's great to get inspired, but don't let that start to allow you to veer off of your own path. Um, So that's something I highly encourage all your listeners is that if they're starting their own business, Remember the problem that you set out to solve and focus on that. Mm, Focus being so, so key. I love that. Thank you so much, uh, Laura and Connie. This has been such a fantastic conversation. Wonderful takeaways uh, and a special treat to our audience. If you would like to support Three Ships Beauty and try out some of their products, I certainly will be doing the same. Uh, Head over to www.threeshipsbeauty.com and use the discount code THRIVE20 for 20% off of your first purchase. Uh, So a wonderful takeaway in addition to all this valuable advice. Thank you so much, Connie and Laura. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us today. Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook Resources for Women Entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. Visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rick Spence and plug into the Startup Canada network. Until next time, I'm Kayla Isabel. It's time to thrive.